Word of the Lord. Today we're looking in the book of St. Luke, chapter number 12. The book of Luke, chapter number 12 this morning. We are going to be reading from the New Living Translation today. And we're going to begin reading with verse number 15. St. Luke, chapter number 12, began reading with verse 15, a very familiar passage of Scripture. The Bible said, then he said, this is Jesus, then Jesus said, beware, beware. He said, guard against every kind of greed. Jesus said, life is not measured by how much you own. Then he told them a story. He said, a rich man had a fertile farm that produced fine crops. And the man said to himself, what should I do? Why, I don't have room for all my crops. Then the man said, I know. I'll tear down my barns and I'll build bigger ones. Then I'll have room enough to store all my wheat and other goods. And I'll sit back and I'll say to myself, Oh, my friend, you, you have enough stored away for years to come. Just take it easy. Eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, You fool, you will die this very night. Then who will get everything you worked for? And Jesus said, A, f- a person is a fool to store up earthly wealth, but not have a rich relationship with God. We are in a series that I am calling Conquering the Giants in Your Life. And today we're going to talk about this giant named Greed. Father, I thank you for the word of God. It is a lamp unto our feet. It is a light unto our path. God, I pray that your anointing will rest upon the message and upon the messenger, Lord, today. Give us ears again to hear the word of the Lord. Father, may we not only be hearers, but may we be doers. May we put into practice that which we received this morning. All of these things we ask in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. All of God's people said, praise the Lord. You may be reseated this morning. Well, as I've already stated, this morning we're going to continue our series of messages on conquering the giants in our lives. Now, if you were here last Sunday, you'll recall that we talked about conquering the giant of fear. And we talked about how fear was an even bigger giant to the army of Israel, even a bigger giant than the physical giant that Goliath was. Well, today we're going to talk about the giant of greed. And may I say that this is one of the biggest giants that we face in America. And there are three things that I want to call your attention to today concerning this giant named greed. And then I'm going to endeavor to help you conquer the giant. So the first thing I want to talk about this morning, and I want to talk about greed's fallacy. 
You'll find fill-in-the-blank notes on the back of your bulletin this morning. If you'd like to fill them in, go along with us. Greed's fallacy. Now, now there are two, I'm not saying that's all there are, but what I want to share with you this morning is two fallacies of greed. And the first fallacy of greed is that only rich people are greedy. Now, when I announced that greed was the giant that I would be talking about today, no doubt many of you breathed a sigh of relief. And you thought within yourself, I'm okay on this one. It's a bye week for me. Go get them, preacher. Because you thought, I'm poor, or I'm middle class, or I live paycheck to paycheck, so how in the world could I be greedy? You see, one fallacy of greed is that only rich people are greedy. But the truth of the matter is, greed is a giant that pops his old ugly head up in just about every life. The definition of greed is inordinate or excessive desire. Inordinate or excessive desire. Now the desire could be for money, it could be for material possessions, it could be for power, it could be for position, it could be for illicit sex, it could be for, 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 and the list goes on and on and on and on and on. Now understand this this morning, desire in and of itself is not wrong. Fact of the matter is, it was God that placed within man this emotion called desire. So it's not desire in and of itself that is wrong, but it's when desire runs amok. It's when desire gets out of hand, it's when it gets out of control, it's when it becomes over the top. And I want us to understand this this morning. Prosperity is a relative term. You say, it sure is, Pastor. All my relatives have it. I don't. (laughs) Truth of the matter is, prosperity is a relative term. Rich is a matter of perspective. Now, to some people... My money, I'm talking about me personally, to some people my money and my possessions are very average. They're very average. To me, based on my humble beginning in the ministry 41 years ago when I took a church of 13 people with $13 in the offering plate, living in a rat-infested parsonage where we watched the snow blow in under the front door in the wintertime and watched the curtains blow back and forth as the wind blew through our house. When our delight was when the little old ladies of the church got their rations from the government, the commodity meat, how many remember that? And the cheese and the peanut butter. To me, based on my humble beginning in ministry and in my upbringing, based on that perspective, I feel rich today. 
I feel prosperous. Even though to those who have more than me, what I have is very average. But to me, based upon where I have come from and my upbringing, I feel rich, I feel blessed, I feel prosperous. You see, no matter where we fit in society, no matter where we, where we rank in financial status or social standing, if we have an inordinate or excessive desire for anything, then we are guilty of greed. And it's a fallacy to think that only rich people have to fight this giant named greed. Fact of the matter is you, you, you can be poor but be so greedy that your greed turns into envy. And it turns into jealousy and it turns into bitterness and it turns into anger because you can't seem to have what others have. Turn to your neighbor and say, ouch. Second fallacy of greed is that all you need to be happy is a little bit more. Second fallacy of greed is all you need to be happy is just a little bit more. And guess what the average American wants today? All they want is just a little bit more than what they have. They can be rich, they can be poor, it doesn't matter, they can be in the middle class. But all that America wants today is just a little bit more than what they have. Doesn't matter if they are a part of the haves or a part of the have-nots. Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter how many zeros are or are not on the end of their salary. All that they want is just a little bit more than what they have. Just one more raise. Amen. Just one more. Just, just one more promotion. Just, just one more rung on that corporate line. Just one more. Just one more than where I'm at. Just one more notch on my belt. One more stripe on my sleeve. Just a little bit nicer car. Not asking for a Mercedes. Just something better than what I've got. Just a little bit bigger house. Not a mansion. Designer label. On my shirt. Man, I got one. It says... J.C. Panay. I mean, it's, wow. <laughs> see, see, that's all America wants. All we want is just a little bit more. And that's exactly what the rich fool wanted. His barns were already full. Amen. He already had more than he needed. But what would he do? Oh, he thought about it. And then he thought, ah, oh, I'll tear down the big barn that I already have and I'll build myself a bigger barn and there I'll have more room to store my stuff. 
All the old country songs said we've got a four-car garage and we're still building on. You see, greed's fallacy is all you need in order to be happy is just a little bit more. All you need in order to be happy is what you do not May I say this morning that if you cannot be happy with what you have, you will not be happy once you get what you don't have. Because the truth is happiness cannot be found in things. Second thing I'd like to talk about as we talk about greed, that is greed is fueled. Greed is fueled. See, fuel is the thing that keeps something running, right? Gasoline fuels the car and keeps it going. Food fuels our, our bodies and keeps them moving. Greed also has its fuel. And it is fueled by two things. Number one, it's fueled by Satan. Satan constantly tempts us with what we don't have. It all started way back in the Garden of Eden in Genesis chapter 3 where God created a paradise. And remember, everything's a matter of perspective. It's not man that called it a paradise. It's the Bible. It's God that called it a paradise. So it was a paradise. And God created this paradise. And he placed man in the middle of the paradise. And God said to man, he said, eat from every tree of this paradise anything you want except one. There's only one tree that I'm going to withhold from you. Thousands to choose from. Only one is forbidden. And that's okay for a while. And then the devil shows up. And the devil shows up and tempts Adam and Eve with the forbidden fruit. And Satan says to man, all you need in order to be happy is just a little bit more. He's in the paradise that God created for him. And the devil says, you can't be happy with what you've got. In order for you to be happy, you need just a little bit more. And he said to him, and all you need in order to be happy is the one thing that you don't have. All of this is yours. Think about that. And all of that, if that didn't make man happy, how would one more make him happy? That's something to think about, isn't it? If all that we have in our life, all that we are blessed with, if all of that doesn't make, it, make us happy, then how in the world do we think that one more thing will make us happy? If a thousand things won't make us happy, how can one thing make us happy? And the devil said to Adam and Eve, all you need in order to be happy is just a little bit more. All you need is the one thing that you don't have. You see, greed is fueled by Satan. Let me ask you this morning, has Satan changed? He fuels our greed by dangling forbidden fruit in front of us. And he talks to us and he says things to us like, it's not fair that Bill and Sally have a bigger house than you do. 
I deserve it, you deserve it too. He says stuff like, look at Jack's wife. She's prettier than yours. He says to us, why can't you get the promotion? Why didn't you get a raise? Why can't you buy a new car? Why can't you add a room to your house? Why can't you have a swimming pool? Anybody going to take me to lunch? (laughs) I think I just lost my lunch date. The devil says you can't be happy with what you have. He says you need more. Yeah, yeah, that's it. He says just a little bit more. All you need in order to be happy, he says, is just that one thing that you do not have. Greed is fueled, not only fueled by Satan, but it's also fueled by society. And everywhere you turn, you are bombarded with the message that what you have is just not good enough. And you cannot be happy with what you have, but you can be happy, society says, with just a little bit more. Seeds of discontentment are sown from every direction. It ranges from the stuff that you have to how much that you weigh to the tech device that you use to the clothes you wear to the hairstyle you need. On and on and on and on it goes. Seeds of discontentment are sown and false promises are issued. Greed is fueled by a society that goes so far that it will use as its slogan and its jingle, I want it all, I want it all and I, I want it now. Society pounds it in our heads. More, 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 more stuff. Bigger, better, more sales. Break the barrier. Oh, set the record. More significance. Climb the ladder. Get the recognition. More, 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 more. Greed is fueled. Amen. Hallelujah. I don't only want to talk about greed's fallacy and the fact that greed is fueled. We'll talk about the fact that greed is foolish. Verse 20, back to our story. God said to him, you fool. You're a fool. You're a fool, dude, because you're going to die tonight. And who's going to get all this stuff? Greed had turned this man into a fool. Now man would place him in who's who. Man would list him in Forbes magazine. God called him a fool. Let me suggest two reasons why he was a fool and then two reasons why he was not a fool. Let's begin with why he was not a fool. 
Number one, he was not a fool because of his prosperity. He wasn't called a fool because of his prosperity. You see, prosperity in and of itself does not make a person a fool. Read the Bible. There are many rich, godly men in the Bible who were prosperous. Men like Abraham. Men like Job. Men like Joseph. Proverbs chapter 28 and verse 20 says that a faithful man will abound with blessings. What does it mean to abound? It means to prosper. Proverbs chapter 3 verse 9 and 10 says to honor the Lord with your possessions and with the first fruits of all of your increase so that your barns will be filled with plenty. Will what? Filled with plenty. What does it mean to be filled, your barns to be filled with plenty? What is that? That's prosperity. And your vats will overflow. What is that? Jesus didn't call the man in his story a fool because of his prosperity. Prosperity is not foolish. Most of the time, not every time, but most of the time, prosperity is simply the byproduct of diligence, hard work, self-discipline, good management, wise decisions, and a break or two along the way. The man in the story that Jesus told was not called a fool because of his prosperity. And it was not, he was not called a fool not because of his preparation. He was not called a fool because of his preparation. Tearing down his big barn and building a bigger barn in and of itself was not wrong. The Bible speaks volumes about preparation. And about being frugal and wise with our possessions. You read the Bible and you'll find where God told Joseph to hoard. To store up goods and to prepare For seven years they were to hoard. For seven years they were to prepare. For seven years they were to fill their barns. Because after the seven years of prosperity, God told Joseph that they would be followed by seven years of famine. The Bible's not against preparation, it's for it. Proverbs 6 and 6 says, learn from the way the ant prepares. The ant works all summer long in order to store up for the winter. In Matthew chapter 25, Jesus tells a story about the five wise and the five foolish. And Jesus said the five were foolish because, verse 3, those who were foolish took their lamps with them but took no oil. They had no backup. Jesus said they were foolish because they were unprepared. 
So Jesus didn't call the rich man in our story. He didn't call him a fool because he prepared. He didn't call him a fool because he was going to tear down his barn and build a bigger barn. Not in and of itself. Not because of his preparation was he a fool. Because God wants us to live our lives with preparation. And oh, I'd sure like to stop here a while. And talk about preparation and how you and I today, we need to use wisdom in preparing ourselves for the years ahead. Understanding that the time will come when some of you are going to be laid off from work. There once was a day, if you got on with a good solid company, you could put in 25, 30, 35 years, retire, get the gold watch, golden handshake. Bye-bye. Average worker today will probably work for about five different employers in their career. The time will come when some of you are going to be laid off at work. And if you are living paycheck to paycheck, how in the world are you going to pay your bills in the interim time while you find another job? And I know it's hard for some of you to believe, but the time will come when you'll be too old to work. Either your body just will not cooperate or society will just overlook you because of your age. And if you're in your middle 50s today and you're without a job, you need God. And let me tell you that an emergency will arise in your future. Aren't you glad you came to get encouraged this morning? (laughs) An emergency will arise in your future. Your car will break down. (laughs) Your kid will get sick. Your roof might leak. I'm not being negative. I'm telling you that life happens to all of us. And and so therefore, if you have no emergency fund in place, if you have nothing in reserve, if you are spending every dollar that you are making, what in the world are you going to do when that emergency arises? What in the world are you going to do when you get laid off from work? What in the world are you going to do when you can no longer go to work or nobody wants you anymore? God's not against preparation because that would be against wisdom. Proverbs 21 and 20 says, The wise have wealth and luxury, but fools spend whatever they get. Have you ever met that person? Don't look around. (laughs) Ever met that person? Oh, oh, it doesn't matter how much they make. Oh, it could be a little or it could be a lot. They just simply spend whatever they have. Whatever they have in in their hands. Whatever they have in their pockets. Whatever they have in their checking account. Whatever they have. They've got a lot. They spend a lot. They get a raise. They've been living paycheck to paycheck. Now they get a raise. There's a little cushion. What do they do? They go out and buy a new car. They go out and get a bigger house. They'll get a membership. Immediately they go out and spend it or they go out and increase their lifestyle to match their new salary. And they never, ever get ahead. They never, ever save anything. They never, ever invest anything. Listen, preparation is not foolish. The unprepared, they're the ones that are foolish. 
Greed made a fool out of the man in the story in Luke 12. But he was not a fool because of his prosperity. He was not a fool because of his preparation. Let me quickly give you two reasons why he was a fool. Number one, he was a fool because of his presumption. Because of his presumption. And his presumption was wide. First of all, he presumed that what was in his possession was his. And he presumed that he deserved it. And he presumed that it was simply a byproduct of who he was and what he had done. And he presumed that the bigger barn would be needed next year for next year's crop, presuming that next year's crop would be as good as this year's crop. That what was going incredible for him today would go incredible for him forever. I lived in Midland, Texas for 12 years. I got there in down times. It was down the whole time I was there, although we had an incredible ministry there. But there were signs all over the town that would say something like this, God, give us another oil boom and we won't screw it up this time. And I've got a dear, dear, I've got several friends there, but I've got a dear, dear friend that I constantly tell him, it won't always be like this. Amen. That's right. Now's a good time to sell. Hallelujah. What was selling for 100000 when I was there, selling for 225000 now. You can't get a motel room in Midland, Texas for under $200 a night. Yeah. That's the quality in, not too much quality at the quality in. <laughs> And I tell him, it's not always going to be like this. The crop is unbelievable. Your barns are full, but they will not always be like, remember? Yes. Hallelujah. He was a fool because of his presumption. He presumed he's going to live a long, long time. He presumed that he could just kick back and relax, eat, drink, and be merry. But the truth was, this was foolish thinking. Friend, what we have is not ours at all. Amen. Some of you balk and throw your head back and don't like it at all when the preacher talks about tithing. Let me just really make you mad. The first 10% is not just God's, it's all God's. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. That includes your stuff. What we have is not ours at all. It belongs to God. We're simply stewards, the Bible says, are managers of the property of God. Truth is, this morning, everything good that comes to us in life is a gift from God. And we should be quick to give Him credit and thanksgiving for every good and every perfect gift is from above and comes down from the Father of lights. And the truth of the matter is we are guaranteed no tomorrow. And we are not guaranteed that next year's crop will match this year's crop. Amen. 
The bigger barn that he thought he needed this year might not be needed at all next year. And the truth of the matter was, the long life that he presumed he would have to look forward to would end that very night. He was a fool because of his presumption. The question for us today is, what are we presuming? And the second reason this man in Luke 12 was a fool is because of his priorities. No less than 13 times, in the New Living Translation at least, no less than 13 times in three little verses, this man uses the terms I, me, my, myself. Not once does he think about anybody but himself and what his prosperity can do for him. He doesn't honor God with any of it. Doesn't share any of it with his family. Doesn't share any of it with his friends. Doesn't talk about giving some of it away to the poor and the needy. No, no. No, all he can think about is what it can do for him. All greed has driven him to the point of becoming a fool. But what about us this morning? And what about our priorities? Do we honor God with our possessions? Do we help others through missions and benevolence? Do we get angry and resentful when the pastor talks about tithing and giving? Does the giant named greed rear his ugly head on a regular basis in our life? Say, okay, pastor. You convince me. How do I conquer greed? The key to conquering greed is found in one word. One word. And the word is focus. Focus. People who are greedy, whether they have a little or they have a lot, are greedy simply because they've lost their focus. What do you mean, Pastor? If my focus is on God and pleasing God, Amen. I won't be greedy. Amen. Thank you, Lord. Hallelujah. But if my focus is on myself and inward, I'll fight that giant every day of my life. Focus. Focus. Now the word could be motive. Jesus says in Matthew, and we're done this morning. Jesus says in Matthew chapter 6, one of my favorite scriptures, Matthew chapter 6, verse 25 through 34. Why don't we go ahead and get the worship team back in place this morning? Very quickly and very quietly. Everybody else focus. They're not that good looking. But they're awesome, aren't they? Jesus said, therefore I say to you, do not worry about your life. How is that possible? 
The only way it's possible not to worry about my life is if I'm not focusing on my life. Don't worry about your life, what you're going to eat, what you're going to drink, your body, what you're going to put on. Isn't life more than food and body more than clothing? Here's an illustration Jesus said, hey, just look at the birds of the air. They don't sow, they don't reap or gather into barns, but your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And anyway, Jesus said, which of you by worrying can add one cubit to his stature? You can't make things any different, can't make things any better by worrying. All you do is make things worse. Verse 28, so why do you worry about clothing? Hey, look at the lilies of the field. They grow, they neither toil nor spin. And yet I say to you that even Solomon in all of his glory was not arrayed like one of these. So if God is able to clothe the grass of the field which today is and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you? Oh, you of little faith. So don't worry saying what are we going to eat or what are we going to drink or what are we going to wear because all the, the, the heathen, the Gentiles, that's what they seek. That's what the world does. That's the world's focus. You're not of the world, and your heavenly Father knows that you need all of these things. Amen. So what do we do? Then seek first the kingdom of God. What's he talking about? Focus. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and then all of these things will be added to you. What things? Food, clothing, shelter. Whatever you need to sustain your life. Seek first the kingdom of God. You're focused not upon yourself, but your focus is upon God. Seek first the kingdom of God. Get your focus right. And then all of these things will be added to you. And don't worry about tomorrow because tomorrow, oh, it's got a whole new load of troubles. What Jesus said. The key to conquering greed, stand with me everyone in the room. The key to conquering greed is to keep your focus on loving God, your focus on serving God, on your focus on trusting God to provide for you. Our focus should be on Him and not on us. The Bible says we're in the world, but we're not of the world. To be of the world is to be outward focused. To be of the world is to be focused on I, me, and my, and my things, and my stuff, and getting more and more and, and, and better and all of that. That's, that's the focus of the world. But the Bible says, Jesus said, you're, not, you're in the world, but you're not of the world. Now let me be clear this morning. That doesn't mean that we just sit around singing kumbaya and expect the Lord to take care of all of our needs. That means that we do everything within our power. We work, because the Bible says if you don't work, you shouldn't eat. We plan. We make wise choices. We seek wise, godly counsel. We prepare. We save. We invest. We do everything that is within our human power. But after we have done everything that we can do, then we take what we have done. We take what we have done and we take what we have. 
and we place it in the hands of Jesus and we trust Jesus to do for us what we are unable to do for ourselves. We've prayed, we've worked, we've planned, we've invested, we've saved, we've sought counsel, uh, we've done all of these things that we can possibly do. But finally we get to the end of what we can do. And after we've done everything that we humanly can do, then we take that. And we offer it to Jesus. And we trust Jesus to do with that. What we're unable to do. We've done everything we could do. And we give that to Jesus and then we expect Jesus to take that and do with that what we can do. And then when we've done everything that we know to do and we take all of that and give it to Jesus and trust Jesus to do with that what He will do, then after Jesus does whatever He is going to do, then wherever we are and whatever we have, We thank God for it. We thank God for it. We praise God for it. And, say and, and we content ourselves in that. Am I ever going to have 40,000 people on a Sunday morning like Joel Osteen? be a multi-million dollar uh, author probably ain't gonna happen but it's okay it's alright I'm not Joel Osteen but I've prayed I've stepped out in faith I've sought godly counsel. I've planned. I've worked. I've been diligent. I've been faithful. And I've done all of that. And then I've given myself over to God. I say, God, may not be much, but it's all I had. And then when God takes that, gives me the grace place I may not have I don't even know what his church name is what is it huh Lakewood is that what it is you don't know either I may not have the old compact center that's what it was right did I say that right compact center that's compact's what the ladies used but no kidding You know, I'm as good looking as the smiling preacher. That's what they call him, the smiling preacher. Well, I am as good looking as him. You look at him, look at me. I'm as good looking as he is. Teasing, come on. I can jump up down and throw a fit and say, God, you gave him the compact center. God, you gave him 40,000 people. Or I can take everything up to this point and give it to God. 
Let God do with me what he wants to do with me. And then whatever he does with me, be thankful and grateful for it. And be content in who I am and what I have. Amen? Or I can be ate up with greed. Father, I just pray today that you'll take this word this morning. God, I just pray you'll take your word today. God, this is your word. God, it's not just the rich that are greedy. The poor can be greedy. We all have to fight this giant named greed. God, I pray today that you will help us. You'll help us with our focus today. And our focus will not be with, on us. But our focus will be on you and upon pleasing you and being who you have called us to be. To do all we can do, then trust you to do what we cannot and then be satisfied and grateful with the results. So that the giant of greed does not conquer us, but that we conquer the giant of greed. We're out of time this morning, but just for a moment or so right there where you're standing this morning, if, if, if you're battling greed this morning, maybe, maybe that's not your giant at all. I told you at the outset, it doesn't matter if I hit on your giant at all. As long as I can stir up that giant in you and you have a desire to defeat that giant, that's what's all about. That's what this is all about. Not about me finding out what your giant is and, and, and whatever. No, no, whatever it is, and it's different in all of our lives. So maybe it's not greed this morning. Maybe it's something else. But, but because we're talking about conquering the giants, that old giant has reared his ugly head. Or you know what that giant is. Let me just encourage you right now, right now, to, to conquer the giant rears its ugly head in your life right now. Amen. One-on-one with God, just you and God right there where you're at this morning. Can we sing? Oh, to be like you Give all I have just to know you. Jesus, there's no one beside you. Forever the hope in my heart. Oh, to be like you. Give all I have just to know you. Jesus, there's no one beside Bye. And it-
Wow, I feel like a rock star now. We're, we're dismissed this morning. Uh, if you're a guest with us, don't forget to turn in your connection card at our Welcome Center. Thank you so much for being here.